There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. That is the sentiment that has been the basis for much traditional Christian mission over the years, from the Anglo-Catholic priest who goes into the slums in search of the, the lost women, or the eager young man or woman who sets off to some foreign land to bring the gospel to the natives so that they might too repent and be saved. Now, one possible difference between those ministries and the ministries we celebrate today is that we know that every one of us is still lost to some degree. Every one of us who may be on the path to righteousness and may even be accounted righteous are still in some measure lost or broken. We are in need of God's grace as we look for righteousness or right relation in our lives and in the world. Now, we certainly celebrate any sinner who repents, but we also assume that even those accounted righteous are works in process, works in progress. Righteousness is not a status conferred in baptism, done and dusted. It's a goal, it's a hope, it's a dream, it's a vision of the lion lying down with the lamb. We will only know that full and ultimate sense of right relationship when the presence of God is made manifest as peace, passing understanding, with justice for all. And so our parish leadership, our vestry, been away this weekend, just returned from a time of reflection on what it means for us to say that we are a worshipping community who are growing in Christian faith, and we're doing that through engaging uh, God and our neighbors. We've had many conversations of significance, but none perhaps more so than when we asked ourselves what it means to grow in faith, and how we would know if we had grown in faith, and how we could recognize growth in our ability to trust God revealed in Scripture. And we ask the question, when have you really chosen to put your trust in God's grace and love? When have you needed to trust God's grace and love? Was God trustworthy? And if God was trustworthy, what difference did it make in your life? And what we found not terribly surprising perhaps, what we found is that those times where we choose to love God and put our trust in God's love for us are difficult times. Times of difficult decisions, times of challenge, illness perhaps, or a surprising and on the face of it inconvenient pregnancy, or a decision to forego a promotion, um, be given to, to forego a promotion and not to disrupt the stability of a child or a painful decision to end a marriage, or a boss telling an employee something she doesn't want to hear, or accepting a buyout package without knowing that there's another job on the horizon, or pulling a child, children out of school they love in times of economic hardship. These are the kinds of times when many of us choose, if we're aware of what's going on, we choose to put our trust in God's grace and love. And what we heard from our leadership is that God is trustworthy. But that gets worked out in a sense that does not spare us from pain. God does not spare us from challenge. God does not swoop in to intervene and fix things for us. Does not make everything all right. 
What God does is rejoice when we turn toward what really matters, when we recognize that whatever happens to us, we're going to be all right because we are in God's love. And we find in that process that we live with a little less anxiety and with a little less fear and with a little more confidence and a little more comfortable in our own skin even when the world and the challenge and the issues of life are swirling around us. And what is more, every time we remember what is of true and ultimate worth, every time we put our trust in God, then that trust becomes easier. And over time, over a lifetime perhaps, we find almost instinctively that we know that God's love is bedrock for us. And we recognize that we've grown in Christian faith, in faith in the God revealed in Scripture and in the story we tell around this table. The word that means repentance, rejoice when a sinner repents, that word is metanoia in Greek, and it means turning. Every time we talk about turning toward what really matters, we're talking about repentance. We're talking about turning our backs on some things and turning anew to what is really important. And so when we turn toward the ground and source of our being, we are repenting. When we turn to the love that made us for love, we are repenting. When the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling about Jesus welcoming sinners and eating with them, Jesus tells these stories that he takes from the economy of the world, from an economy that says you need to be fearful, an economy that says what really matters is having enough money, and, and he contrasts that with the economy of the kingdom. And so he takes this shepherd, takes this shepherd who's lost a sheep, and this sheep might represent as much as a year's wages. I don't know exactly how much, but, but very often that shepherd would be accountable and responsible for that sheep. And, and if he had to pay back a year's, he'd have no life. In fact, it wouldn't matter if he lost all hundred, if he lost one of them. And so, of course, he goes after and finds that sheep. And thank God when he finds it, what a relief, what joy, celebrate. My life can go on. It's not over. Um, the joy is extraordinary. And Jesus says there's more joy in heaven than even that sense of escape when a sinner turns toward what really matters and recognizes even in the midst of the fear that the sheep is lost, that whatever happens, we will still be beloved of God. Well, think about this woman who's lost a coin. She's got ten coins. I, I imagine that he's thinking about a woman of marriageable age who's wearing a sort of headband of coins. It's sort of like a debutante of the ancient world, sort of slightly advertising availability, if you know what I mean. And she loses that coin. And, and it's there for everyone to see. Matter of shame. It might affect her, her status. And so she turns the light on and she looks and she turns everywhere looking for that coin. And, and she finds that coin. And what rejoicing! hey, guys, I'm back in the game, you know, and, 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 and look what I got. And, and, uh, and, and that, that kind of uh, economic necessity for a woman in those days of being married, or goodness knows life was going to be awful. And, and even in the economy of the world, there's rejoicing, and God says, how much more rejoicing? You can't imagine how much better it is and how much 
more full it is and how much more rich it is when someone turns back toward what really matters and starts finding that love really does cast out fear and we really don't have to uh, worry and be anxious all the time, even in the face of very, very, very difficult stuff. And so as much as turning again to God's love and putting our trust in God's love casts out fear, so it also puts a right perspective on ourselves. It means we approach others with a proper degree of humility. We're not the saved going after the lost. We're not the righteous going after the sinners of the world. We're not the people who are enlightened, going to bring our empire values to the, to the dark nation, the dark continent. We're none of those things. Uh, our verger at 8 o'clock, Carl Welsher, was rem- telling me that when he was growing up, the, the mite boxes he had in, in Sunday school in his church, uh, a Roman Catholic church in New Jersey, uh, had written on them, to save pagan babies. You know, it's like, that's not what we're up to. That's, or, or, I mean, it's not that that's a terrible thing to do. It's just there's the notion that we've got it made and we need to go give it to someone else is not really what happens when we really learn to trust in God. What happens is that we start being able to move alongside one another and share stories as fellow travelers on the journey who have begun to taste the first fruits of the promise that love really is stronger than death. And so in every one of these ministries that we celebrate today, there is the possibility of our growing in faith, of our being used by God to meet the needs of another, and of another, perhaps someone very, very different than us, being used in a sense to meet our own needs. That's what happens when stories get shared in gift or or education for ministry. That's what happens when um, the joys and sorrows of a lifetime are shared in, in, um, in a woman's chapter. That's what happens when we find ourselves uh, meeting and realizing the breadth and the height and depth of community if we spend a weekend together at Canuga. It's, 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 it's allowing us to flourish in ways that are similar to what happens when a child gets a new set of clothes and is able to address the world and go to school with a kind of dignity she didn't know she had, or when we uh, hear the stories of men who have been addicted and homeless, beginning to experience the grace and the power to turn their lives around, back toward what really matters from the very depths that they have found. These ministries where we serve others are not noblesse oblige of Lord and Lady Bountiful. They are manifestations of the gospel, they are consequences of the gospel, and they're manifestations and consequences for us, for each other, for those we serve, and for those who we find, surprisingly perhaps, serving us. These ministries, every one of them, hold within them the possibility for us to grow in faith, sharing stories, turning, turning, turning again and again, being reminded and called back towards what really matters, the love that made us for love. This is a worthy celebration this day, for truly I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, any one of us, any time we repent. In silence and in response to the gospel, giving thanks for the grace to trust God for life. Let us pray.